This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 648, Comic Talk Spotlight on Thor Heroes Return Omnibus, Volume 1, Part 1. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 648. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is our comic talk spotlight on Thor, the Heroes Return Omnibus, Volume 1, Part 1. That is quite the mouthful. I'm going to be joined in just a moment by Tim Riley, who's a returning guest to the show. Uh, so we'll be breaking down uh, the first half of this particular omnibus, and then at some point in the near future we'll uh, we'll talk about the second part as well. It might be a month or two down the road. Uh, you can always email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, read and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, we have some good stuff coming up in the next few months, some good interviews that we're working on uh, solidifying the dates for. Uh, we're going to have a, a very long conversation about an upcoming Marvel uh, graphic novel um, collection catalog that I'll be doing with Eric Anthony, which will be coming out relatively soon. We've actually recorded it. It was about two hours long, and uh, if that seems like a long time to talk about collected editions, well, uh, you don't know a lot about collected editions, maybe. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. Anyways, thank you for uh, downloading this episode, and I'll jump right into the episode as I talk with Tim about Thor, The Hero's Return, Omnibus, Volume 1, Part 1. Enjoy! Tim, welcome back to the Comic Shanigans Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm glad to have you back on. We've been talking about this for a long time, and I think we seeded it in our last kind of Comic Talk uh, episode, but it's been a long time since we've actually had you on the show, so welcome back. Yeah, I think last time was, I remember seeing on Skype before you called, I think it was August last time we talked, so that would have been part of our debate on new, uh, Grant Morrison's new X-Men. That's right, yeah, where I was proven correct, but it's excellent comic books, and that was the end of the story. Is, is that what happened? Is that is that, uh, that that all that transpired? That's how I remember it. At the end of the conversation, you said, Tim, you're right. <laughs> so that would have been part of the, uh, part of the uh, sixth anniversary spectacular. Um, yep. Before that, you were uh, the last Comic Talk Spotlight we actually did was episode 566, and I think this one's going to be like 648 or something. So it's been, you know, coming up on 100 episodes since we've actually talked about, you know, just a specific run of comics. Last time, the last two times we did this, we were talking about Iron Man, and now we're moving on to Thor, and we're talking about the, the Thor Heroes Return Omnibus, which, as I said uh, off podcast beforehand, I kind of cheated that I don't actually own the Omnibus, but I have uh, access to the complete collections that were done uh, by Jurgens, which gets us up to a lot of what we're going to be talking about today as we're going to do the first half of that giant, giant tome. Yeah, I actually always wanted to pick up those original collections and because I wanted to read this whole book, but they always were, they were heavily priced, getting all the volumes, so I was so happy to see these omnibuses come out because there's finally a chance to grab this stuff at a reasonable price. We're as reasonably priced as omnibuses can be. Good value, high price. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there was a time actually not long ago where I was like, you know what? I know we're going to do this episode eventually. I'll just buy the omnibus. And then suddenly the Amazon just spiked it in price by like 23 bucks. And I'm like, nope, can't do it. 
Yeah, they can. If you don't get a big discount on omnibuses, they become pretty cost prohibitive. Well, I can say, especially a, if you already have material. Yeah, well, I, I can say as a Canadian, it's even worse um, because you know, obviously, our currency has uh, some issues with it as well. So you know, we pay a lot more. So I think the Thor omnibus, uh, sorry, Thor Heroes Return omnibus uh, volume one is going for I think uh, like one hundred and fifteen or one hundred and twenty bucks now. And that's that's, yeah, a, that's, steep. that's a lot of money. <laughs> It is. I think I paid about $60 U.S., so much, much less expensive here. I mean, you don't know. Based on conversion, that could be a 200 Canadian dollars. Like, <laughs> But thankfully, it's not. Um, that would be awful. So um, was this the first time you'd ever read this material by Thor? Or for Thor? Uh, it, it was. I really haven't read any Thor prior to JMS's run starting around 2006-2007. I've read everything that happened since then but my really only real thor knowledge before jms's run is just listening to the epic marvel podcast so i listen to those so i know a little bit about defalco's run but i've never actually read any of it it's interesting because this run is very uh like obviously it draws upon certain elements of uh prior continuity from like way 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 back like you know thor 100 and something but for the most part this is a very siloed run that kind of just kind of happens and then never really gets referenced afterwards. Now, we're early enough in the phase that we're not dealing with the stuff that gets out, right, you know, well, I'm not going to spoil anything, but um, it, it, I'll just say it matters less than normal um, in terms of continuity, um, which is interesting because, I mean, this this was a long run. I mean, well, maybe not long, but, I mean, it went with 70 issues or so that Dan Jurgens was writing the book. So that's, you know, a solid five to six years of Thor, and yet it never gets referenced or talked about. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I picking up the JMS run, I never felt like I was missing anything by not having read this. I think this is great, but you're right that in all the reading I've done in the last 10 years, I've never once felt like there was something I was necessarily missing by not having read this. Now, just as a, a very kind of high level, generally speaking, and we're going to get into the nitty gritty, but what was your what was your impression of this take? I mean, it's I almost want to boil it down to two main ideas, and one being, what do you think of Dan Jurgen's voice for Thor and the way in which he tells the stories, and what do you think of John Romita Jr. as a Thor artist? Well, starting with the art, I thought Romita's art was incredible, especially the early issues. I felt like as it went on, it may have moved more towards him doing breakdowns and uh, Jansen doing more of the effort there, but the early issues are incredibly, incredibly strong art-wise. And he was doing two books a month at this point. Yeah, that's that's mind-blowing. Even back in the 90s, to be doing two high-profile books simultaneously and doing both parts of your own crossover, that's a enormous workload. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's it's not normal. And I, I, you bring up a good point. Like, at, at what point exactly is he just doing breakdowns and because he can't handle the workload? Because that's a lot of work. And especially with a character like Thor, it seems to demand a little bit more visually in terms of spectacle. Exactly. You're constantly drawing Asgard, and you, you have so many costumes and things going on. Every character sort of has their own look. The you know, Volstag's different from Thor, who's different from Odin. So I think there's a there's a lot to draw in every panel. For sure. And then, what, what did you? How what was your take on Dan Jurgens as a as a Thor writer? Like, do you have much experience with Dan Jurgens as a writer or as an artist? Or what's your impression of him as a creator before reading this book? So I didn't have too much familiarity with him. I had read a little bit of what he did on Spider-Man, but he wasn't there very long. I've never really read much of his Superman, except for the more recent stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Um, but I really enjoyed sort of the, it felt like more of an old school Thor style book where Thor is very Shakespearean in how he talks. Everyone in Asgard is very Shakespearean. Um, you know, the plotting was nice where, like you said, he referenced a lot of things from very early in Thor history. It felt like he had gone back, read original issues and wanted to reference those. But I never once felt like I was missing out by not having read Journey into Mystery 140 or something like that. <laughs> Now the, I mean the the very premise right from the beginning is that you know you have Thor back, Asgard's in shambles, and then you know they he definitely decides to make a very big change by you know giving Thor a human host, something that had not been done for a long time, and really even when it had last been done, like if you go back, I mean I there's there's periods where Thor kind of had a quote-unquote civilian identity, but he was basically still Thor. Like, he was Sigurd Jarlson or something, but a construction worker. But he still looked like Thor, still acted like Thor. There was no real discernible difference anymore. And obviously in the very early years, he was Donald Blake. So this was definitely doing something different where it was kind of to ground the character and give, give him types of stories that you could not have told with just regular Thor. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting way he did it, too, where he's not just human, but he's stuck trying to live the life of someone else he really didn't know. Now, do you think that more could have been done with it, at least uh, from what we've read in these issues? Because it's interesting that, like, he, you know, he's stuck in this form, has a vague sense of his of this guy's, like, medical history, also his own history as Donald Blake, but then doesn't really have the emotional connections to understand all the things. Like, I felt like they could have gone a little deeper on just exactly what Thor knew or how he was able to, for the most part, get his way through life as this character, because... I don't know about you, but if I suddenly became Tim Riley, I don't. I think people would know pretty quickly that I'm not you. Exactly. It is, it's a little bit strained how quickly he's able to pick up being someone else. There is not quite clear what kind of information he inherits. But I think as we get later into the book with the part we'll cover today, it starts getting really interesting where Thor starts doubting, you know, is the person who I'm sort of pretending to be actually a good person? And Thor thinks to himself, I kind of don't know. So he's got this weird angst going on where he he's uncomfortable being this person that he doesn't really know now how do you feel about again with your limited um experience well relatively limited experience with thor uh how do you feel about having him as a mortal and, and kind of seeing it i mean the last time this would have again i forgot to mention this because obviously this is big from the um tom defalco run is that you had him sharing space with eric masterson half the time uh and that they were bonded together but again they were two separate entities and two separate people um whereas again this is a this is thor all the time but experiencing a whole different life um is there anything that you felt was kind of a missed opportunity or did you just like that this was a whole different area of stories for a character like thor to go that was very different from what you might have expected just not enough hours in the day to do it all so he's constantly having to juggle everything 
Absolutely. Well, let's 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 uh, hunker down and and get through some of these issues. So, I mean, the the first issue has um, a tremendous amount to set up, um, and really it doesn't it doesn't actually do all of it, right? I mean, really it's a a two parter because it kind of gets you to the point where well, what's what are they going to do? How are they going to save Thor? How's he going to come back from this? And then they kind of set up the major premise of the series. But you know, at the beginning we have Asgard in shambles. We have um, which I liked uh, the idea that Thor intervenes in a um, uh, in a hostage situation, and a guy who wants to talk to Thor, who thinks that he's Heimdall, but really he's not. And he kind of—it's interesting. Like if you were that mentally ill, and you thought that maybe you were a god, and then you got brought to the home of the gods, and it's destroyed. How much would that fuck with your mind? It would be a, a very interesting day. I mean, it would. Interesting to me about it, as I said, I so I started off with JMS really reading Thor, and this is very similar to that entire setup from his initial part of the book, where that's what Thor was doing. He was finding these people who were kind of acting crazy, and it turned out actually he is Himdale, he is Baldar. Like that was sort of what they were doing. Whereas in this book, it's really just is someone who's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I kind of remember I remembered that more clearly than I did this setup. So I was kind of like, is that Heimdall? <laughs> And it was not exactly. It was a nice, um, a nice way though that you could have, you know, a bit of monologuing by Thor as he's kind of, you know, sad about Asgard, and then also having a nice reflection of, you know, here are the key players and everyone I miss. There's Balder and Lady Sif and the Warriors Three and Loki and Odin, and it's a, a nice way of kind of info dumping. Whereas it doesn't feel as awful as it would normally feel to get dumped with that much information because he is ostensibly talking to this guy who's just mentally ill and wishes that maybe he was um, Heimdall but isn't. And it's just a kind of an interesting way of, of doing things. It is a good way to get the status quo set it up, set up without it feeling really forced. He has good reasons to be talking about these things. He has a good reason to go to Asgard. So it's not just feeling like it's page after page of here is the status quo that you need to know going forward. It feels like it's actually part of the story. One thing, it's interesting. So I remember reading... Um, a bunch of like wizard magazines from the time and them talking about Thor and there was all this you know mystery about you know the dark gods and all this and reading it I was like very disappointed that it really didn't leave it live up to any of that wizard hype um, because the characters are really not that interesting but like it's a threat but it's not the most exciting threat and it paws over the series for a year but there's a lot more interesting stuff that happens in that first year besides this big threat of the dark gods I agree completely on that they are they're a threat physically and that they can attack people but really in terms of motivation it's it's very bland basically they dislike asgard so they attack it and that's it yeah that's the entire story (laughs) yeah there's not much to it and even even like at the beginning like the idea that you know they're only there because of one errant throw of a hammer unlocked their prison Mm -hmm. like again not not the not the best setup um, and, and even them having, like, Odin, I don't know if they ever actually explained how they even found Odin and were able to string them all up, but, like, that's, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there's a lot going on there. Um, I like the initial impressions we get of Jake Olson and Demetrius. I thought that was a, you know, a cool setup of maybe these are going to be, you know, new supporting players, and obviously one of them is, um, but an interesting way of kind of showing that and not immediately telling the reader this is what was going to happen. Like, it is a surprise what happens to Thor. Exactly. I think I knew going in that the Jake Olsen thing happened. But I think if you're reading this fresh, you just picked up off a newsstand, you would. There'd be this weird tension of like, who are, 
who are these new people? Obviously, if they're giving him a page this early in the book, they matter, but why does Jake Olson matter? No, for sure. And so, wh- what did you, how did you, what did you think of Jake Olson, like Prime, like you know, the actual Jake Olson? Uh, well, we don't get to know too much about him. He dies so quickly. Basically, we just know he's a guy who likes his fiance and tries to rescue people. And, you know, it's, it's very generic. Hey, he's a good guy. He's a hero, which I think plays, it works well only because later on Thor starts to doubt whether that's actually true. Mm-hmm. And what do you think of, um, actually uh, when, when Thor gets kind of roasted and kind of quote unquote dies, um, I, it's, it's one of those things that J.R.J.R. doesn't always do well is, is bodies that are beaten. Uh, or in some ways he does because they look like just this weird pulpy mess, but at the same time, not the most appetizing thing to look at. Um, so like at the end of the issue where he's kind of beaten up, it's kind of a cool, you know, effect on him. It really looks like the body's really, you know, kind of fried up. But then when you get that first shot of the next issue from the other angle, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, Rabina, he definitely has the, a very certain way he likes to draw people that are burnt and beat up, and he draws exactly that in both the last panel of the first issue and the first panel of the second issue. It's exactly what you expect from Rabina if someone's going to be in that condition. And you're right, in the first page of the second issue, it does not look particularly good. No, I, I maybe it's just the perspective of it too, but it just seems like a weird, weird choice. Um, it's interesting. Again, it's interesting to see the you know the Avengers having to kind of do their best to kind of you know actually avenge Thor uh, because Thor's you know dead, and then Thor's body getting knocked into the water. And I, I, what did you think about him in Hela's realm? I thought that was really good stuff. I like you know, well, first of all, Ramita draws Hela great, so she has that great look. You know, it's very similar to the look she had in the third Thor movie. Um, just it looks incredible there i just like the entire idea of marno show is it marno or not however you say it but mm-hmm. him showing up and just being weird and then the whole setup of who is this guy why does he have these powers well, i think that's another you know good mystery since of early on to you know keep the reader wanting to keep reading on do you i mean this is skipping forward but i mean do you feel that mystery was worthwhile at the end do you think it was satisfactory or did it feel like like, did it feel like that was always the plan with Jurgens, or do you think that maybe he came and came up with it on the fly? Uh, I feel like there's a few times to come up with things on the fly. Um, you know, later on with some of the stuff that happened with Demetrius, it feels really out of left field. But with this, I'm not 100 percent sure. Sometimes when I think about the reveal of Marneau, I think, oh, it's hilarious. It's kind of funny. But then in some sense, it is a little bit of a letdown in that you're kind of expecting some big, interesting thing. And in the end, it's sort of a, a nothing throwaway. No, for sure. And the, the rest of that second issue is once the you know there's um, um, uh, a bargain made with this Marnot character, Thor comes back to the living, and the, the Destroyer has... You no, know, it's a funny panel where Thor has what... Um, Scarlet Witch's cape and like for no reason uh, just because it looks cool on his arm and then he has at least like he has Captain America's shield that at least was cool he has like the middle you know of, uh, of Captain America's sorry not Captain America Iron Man's chest plate for some reason on the destroyer armor which doesn't make any sense and like does he have anything from Hawkeye yeah I think he's holding his bow it's such a weird thing yes. <laughs> it is strange like, just because you knock someone out like you don't 
if you beat a bunch of people in a fight, you don't pick one item off of each of them and start wearing it, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> I mean, that, that does feel like a very video game type of thing to do, though. It does, yeah. Like, oh, you beat Iron Man, you get to pick up his new item now. <laughs> and then he tries to pick up Thor's hammer, that doesn't work, and then Thor, you know, comes back. It's kind of funny, because nothing inherently has changed about Thor. He's just getting a second chance, and yet he's able to very easily beat up the Destroyer. Yeah, I think they, they they make some comment about that later on in the book, of why didn't Thor just do the spin the hammer and send him away way earlier? I don't know. He couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. But who knows? And uh, even they're like, wasn't he dead? And it was like, ah, he's a god. 50 minutes isn't even a problem. <laughs> like, you're just hand-waving the fact that he died and came back. I guess for someone like Thor, it is like, I mean, how many times has... You know, that's the, the whole thing with these Asgardian gods. They die, and they come back, and they die, and they come back. It is just sort of like, oh, it's Friday, I died, no but, big deal. But have they ever actually seen it happen before? That's a good point, yeah. For someone like Captain America or Iron Man, because the Asgardian's lifespan is so long, they probably haven't witnessed him die. Like, I would I would imagine that's still pretty, like, shocking, but they, they seem to shrug it off pretty easily. Yeah, well, but their life is pretty crazy as an Avenger, I think. Once you've seen everything they've seen, nothing really phases you anymore. Now, at the end, it's interesting that when Thor goes home, you have the shot of him, you know, being like, what, what's what's forcing me to be at this place? What's forcing me to strike the hammer down? And then we don't actually get to see kind of the money shot of him actually turning into whatever he's turning into. Instead, we have, you know, the next page, this uh, Jake Olson's fiance uh, going home and finding Jake there. And him just standing there with a dumb look in his face, like, who be you? Which is <laughs> which is definitely like a, a, a great cliffhanger, right? Like, if you're buying this on a weekly, oh, sorry, a monthly basis and you get to this you're like oh man the first issue thor dies second issue he's this guy like that that's pretty you know that's going to make you want to come back it's definitely giving you a satisfying cliffhanger yeah i think that's something jurgens does really well throughout this book because i feel like he sets up each issue where even when the issue is somewhat self-contained it leaves you really wanting to just go ahead and start reading the next one immediately Exactly. Now, when we get into the third issue, this is where, again, some of the, the nitpicks of, you know, how do you explain that he's not, like, he's not Jake, but he's Thor, yet he's somehow able to get his way through this conversation. Like, it shouldn't be this easy for him to just kind of sleepwalk his way through a conversation with someone who should know this person so well. Yeah, and there's, and you, if you think about it too hard, too, there starts being some really ethically dubious things going on here where is it really ethical for Thor to still be attempting to date this person when he's really not the person that she thinks he is and like if you pull it too much out of the comic book realm you'll, you'll start thinking this is really messed up Thor you really shouldn't do this although at least at this point I mean he basically feels like he can't violate the deal with Marnot right like Mm-hmm. He finds out very quickly that, like, you know, Marno's basically like, you have to do this, and he doesn't want to have, you know, suffer the repercussions and have these people have to deal with that as well. So at least at the beginning, they do kind of build a, a story sense for it. It is later when it becomes like, okay, well, now he doesn't have to be Jake anymore, but he's choosing to be. That's true. At first, it is sort of, you can put it all on Marno and say it's, it's his fault, he's making Thor do it. Yeah, later on, like you said, once he's doing it on his own, then it's like, come on, Thor, you should probably be honest at this point. And I think that's what Jane Foster tells him, too, is like, you should stop this and tell the truth. 
For sure. Well, and it's interesting too because at that point, like, it starts out with obviously Marnot, you know, twisting the knife and saying, doing the deal, but also him saying, though, like, this guy died because of you. And if you hadn't, you know, been doing what you were doing or you, if you had fought smarter, then maybe this guy wouldn't have died. So it's definitely playing on the idea of honor. And, uh, and obviously it, it plays into Marnot's own plan, which is something else entirely, but uh, to kind of keep Thor safe. But from Thor's perspective, like, you know, this, this was a good person. So he's trying to do the honorable thing by taking over this man's life like it's 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 yeah. it's, it's twisted but you can kind of see the logic like this man would never have died these people would never have been hurt therefore i'm going to let them believe that this person's still alive it's still creepy but you can at least kind of understand why he's doing it it's such a spider-man logic too where under no circumstances is thor particularly responsible for jake olsen having died it's only in the twisted hero logic that they feel this responsibility thor's as much responsible for it as iron man is captain america is scarlet witch is hawkeye is <laughs> but only thor is stuck having to live this guy's life so in issue three we have uh, i guess uh, sedna the sea spirit uh what did you think of her non-entity. I mean, she, I feel like she's almost just here to, you know, they need a villain for a couple of issues. They want to bring in Namor. And off the top of my head, I mean, I know I've read this issue, no read it recently, but I couldn't tell you anything about it other than I, if I remember right, she wanted to be with Thor physically. I believe she so. She wanted to marry him. Yeah. But that, that's a recurring theme in this book is Jurgens loves throwing in lines about women who want to be with Thor like oh if I had five minutes with him oh look at those shoulders like every time a woman should up in this book they start ogling over Thor every time to be fair if Chris Hemsworth walked into the, any room would that <laughs> probably happen probably so so it's realistic in that sense now, I believe it's this issue where we get the first sense that maybe something might be off with Demetrius. Um, it's, it's interesting to read it and then read what happens later and then go back and read it again. Because it definitely doesn't feel like it ends up being what it what it is, if that makes sense. Um, because you yeah. get the sense here that Demetrius might be doing something bad. But when you actually read the dialogue back in context of what happens later, it actually does still work. Because um, that's the one thing I was I, – when I read the later stuff with Demetrius, I was like, well, wait a minute. Does that still jive with that earlier scene? And it does. Yeah, I was confused too. The, the first time Demetrius shows up and is like, I'm an undercover cop the whole time. I was thinking, but aren't you the drug dealer yourself? Yeah. It yeah, felt like I was, that, I was right? thrown. But exactly. I felt like Jurgens changed his mind. Is this a weird, complicated thing where he went undercover but was also the drug dealer? <laughs> yeah, well, because... I got a little bit lost. Well, because even, like, the dialogue when he's like, with Jake dead, I had the perfect Patsy to pin this evil business on. That doesn't feel like... Like, Patsy's the wrong word there because, like, if you're trying to pin the deal, like, and actually, if you're actually a detective and you figured out who's, you know, the person who's responsible, then you found the actual, like, you're going to bust them, right? Um, that should be how I'm supposed to interpret it based on future information. But the word Patsy kind of throws it off. That's why I feel like this is one of those cases you mentioned before where it almost feels like Jurgens is doesn't have it all tightly plotted out or changed his mind as he went because it's just... I don't think you would have written it that way if you knew we were going to go around issue 15 or 16. Yeah, but it's interesting. And even like at the beginning when he's like there, no way any anybody will find out now. You could manipulate the context to be like, well, he's upset that now no one will ever figure it out because Jake's gone. Or 
maybe the original context that he was writing it from being that he was going to be the drug dealer himself and now no one will be able to figure out that he did it or who knows, right? Like it's hard to interpret it this. Yeah, you can, you can kind of no-prize it together however you want just depending on how you want to read the dialogue. And that's classic Marvel Comics right there. Exactly. Just make it make sense in your own head. <laughs> um, and anything else about this issue you'd like to shout out about or make mention of? Uh, nothing in particular, except that th- going back to sort of making it Peter Parker-ish, you know, the end of the issue shows you know, Thor's being dragged underwater, but at the same time, he's supposed to be Jake Olsen picking up his future stepdaughter from school, and it's just that old, you know, I, I can't do both things at the same time complication of being Spider-Man. It's just <laughs> done with Thor instead. Well, it's interesting here, too, is that we see the fact that um, uh, Jake can kind of summon by striking the ground, he's able to kind of conjure up um, the hammer at that point. Mm-hmm. And then later on, that doesn't usually seem to be the... Well, yeah, I guess it is the case. It's a, it's an odd, weird... Like, you know, if he doesn't have the hammer for too long, he turns back into Jake. Uh, also, the hammer is not always responding to him, which is something else, um, which is a lot to kind of throw on this character. Um, and then when he's not Thor... He just turns back in, and then there's no walking stick or anything. He just kind of turns back into Jake, and then there is no nothing until he strikes the ground with his fist. It's an interesting choice. Yeah, I feel like the rules were a little bit nebulous. I guess a lot of that can be explained by, like you said, the Thor. At this point, his hammer is a bit possessed, so any sort of inconsistencies could just be, well, his hammer wasn't listening to him at that point because his hammer is possessed. For sure. And... Now, the next issue, we get to see uh, Namor the Submariner, who's another giant, big, you know, handsome man for Thor to hang out with. <laughs> There's a lot of that, though. There's a lot of, like, the big, tough, strong guys are hanging out a lot in these issues. So this- yeah, Thor's, he's got, yeah, Namor shows up. He's got uh, Hercules is butting around with him. Um, so, yeah, it tends to be, I like, too, that, Throughout this book, they keep showing that Namor and Thor really like each other. They're best buds, whereas Namor normally hates everybody. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I, I feel like that that does kind of ring true, though. It feels like those two should get along. It does make sense. They have very uh, I guess, similar backgrounds, and they're both sort of royalty. They have these, these similar senses of honor. So I can see that. I like also that, like, and this is just the Marvel Universe being the Marvel Universe, that Jake's about to die and gets randomly saved by Namor for no reason other than Namor just happened to be, like, swimming on by. Exactly. It's like the old Marvel team-up, you know, where something's happening and Spider-Man just happens to be there at the same time. Of course, (laughs) if you fall anywhere in the ocean, the Marvel Universe, Namor is close by. I mean, that's just the way it works. It's uh, interesting, too, because, like, the way in which John Reader Jr. um, illustrates the the giant monster is very much in the league of his regular giant monsters. Like, if you had kind of a lineup of what J.R.J.R.'s monsters look like, this is kind of a prototypical monster from J.R.J.R. It is. It looks like a lot of the stuff, like, if you pulled up his Daredevil issues, you'd see the same type of things in there. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Like, a lot of those weird monstrous things were, you know, that's basically what he's doing here. It's a nice team-up to see between uh, Thor and um, and Namor. I like their interactions together. It's just, it's nice to see a different side of Namor that's not just the typical kind of arrogant ruler who's angry at everyone. Exactly. And you can, you can imagine, too, that because, you know, they're both, well, Namor's not as old as Thor, but they both 
have been around a really long time. They've had a long time to establish a relationship, and it's been pretty consistent that if Namor respects someone, he's not nearly as dickish to them as he is to the average person. True, like he's very respectful of Captain America. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a dick to him. So, And in this issue we also see uh, Pericus, um, who's again one of these dark gods. And I just feel like for a long time they're just kind of there. Like they're just kind of hanging out in Asgard and they know that Thor exists and they kind of want him to die, but they're not really doing anything about it. Like it, it just feels very lazy at times that you have this threat, but they're not really, they're very slow moving. It's kind of like every season of The Flash on TV is that you have like a villain, but it takes forever for the villain to do anything. And it kind of suffers from the idea of the big bad-itis. Um, and th- that's definitely what this first year kind of feels like. They are a threat, but they're just kind of on the periphery and they're not really doing much. Yeah, they do just kind of sit there for 10 issues, and then they realize, oh, Thor's alive, let's go fight him. But other than that, yeah. But it does lead to some incredible art. The, the stuff at the end of issue four where uh, Ramita draws Odin, it's great looking. You can really see Odin locked up with the massive chains, just powerless. So it looks great, but it's four pages that really are just them standing there waiting. And next issue, they're going to be waiting again. Issue after that, they're waiting again. <laughs> so it's not really moving anything forward. It's interesting, at the end of that issue, I guess, then we have um, Thor just drinking alone, and it's a weird place to end something. I love the ending, though. I thought it was really strong. Just that he is. He's depressed. Everyone, his friends, family, they're all apparently dead. His home is destroyed. He's stuck living Jake Olsen's life, and he just wants to have a beer and tell some old tales to random people. He doesn't even care. He just wants company because he's lonely. Hmm. I almost felt like it would have worked better if if it felt like there was any kind of follow-up from that. Like, it, it's it's a sober moment, right? And yet it, the next time we see Thor in the next issue, he's, you know, just kind of doing this weird, like, kind of sitting down but flying through the sky. Like, it just it feels like a, a, a big juxtaposition to this kind of more somber, sad moment. And I, I almost would have liked to have spent more time in the sadness. That's a good point, yeah. And it's something that he brings up, but, you know, one thing Jorgens does really well is I feel like even when he throws in these random things, he finds a way to bring them back later on, whereas, you know, the people in this bar, all that, it never particularly comes up again. He's still bummed about his family being gone, but this particular instance of it doesn't get really strong development all the time. No. And then the next issue, you have a weird first page of, like, people in New York waking up. (laughs) Was this so you jump into issue five? Because that's where the first annual hits in the omnibus. Okay, all right. So you're going to have to tell me what happens in this amazing annual. Yeah. We've got Silver Surfer and the Mighty Thor in the 1998 annual. And the caption on the cover is to face the fury of Millennius. Because it's 1998, so everything has to reference the millennium. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, too, a lot of the annuals from that year were kind of combination annuals, where you had two other two characters kind of coming together for an annual. Yeah, this one, it's, it's a, I would say you benefited from it not being included in your collections. It's by Tom DeFalco, who is apparently an excellent Thor writer. It's got a special thanks to J.M. DeMattis, but I mean, it's really bad. The art um, isn't very good. The story is Who does the art? a bit all over the place. It's someone named, um, I haven't heard of them before, Ramon Bernardo. No, I don't think I've heard of them. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's got a certain style to it. Maybe some people would prefer that style. I find it very unappealing. 
<laughs> and basically the story is that Thor and Silver Surfer are trying to figure out what happened to all the Asgardians, but in the process, they end up in another dimension, and they'll have to fight Millennius, who can only escape from his weird dimension once every thousand years, so since the year 2000 is approaching, that's his time to escape. And it's just, I mean, it's it's something that, everything that happens there never comes up again. The issue itself isn't very entertaining. There's not much appeal to it. Yeah, I don't want to be overly critical and just bash something, bash people who work darn it, but I would recommend nobody try to seek this out. Wow, okay. Well, let's let's go right into number five then. <laughs> um, so we have, uh, well, again, so this first page is weird because it's people waking up in New York, and it's kind of a weird choice because if you don't know the Marvel Universe, you're not going to know that that's Peter Parker or Doctor Strange. Or is that Doctor Strange, or is that Tony? Like, I wasn't even sure. My theory was just Tony Stark, because he's got the red towel. Yeah, I just, something about insufferable boar sounded more like Doctor Strange than Tony. That's a good point. But it's hard to tell. Like, I know, And I know it's Peter Parker, because I know what, you know, J.R.J.R.'s Peter looks like, but other than that, like, it, it's just kind of a weird choice, and at least the thing we know. See, I don't, I don't think that Doctor Strange would have a shower that chic looking. He wouldn't have the shower speaker either. That's why I think Tony oh, okay. Stark again. That's, I mean, really, it just underlines the point that they look too similar. That's yeah, they they really do. Which I guess I know Ben just played with that a little bit during his run on Iron Man. So, what do you think of this issue? So, we got a shock jock, um, you know, trying to make, piss people off, really. Which is, you know, pretty typical. You do get to see um, uh, Jake and uh, and Jane meet, which is an interesting kind of connection. And uh, nice to see Jane Foster in the book. Is I love this issue. I thought it was great. I like the whole plot with Jake and meeting Jane and dealing with the whole. Um, there's the medical emergency, and Jake's going off protocol, and Jane's figuring out something's up, and the shock jock stuff just cracked me up. <laughs> For sure. Well, yeah, no, it's a, it's one of the better issues in the collection for sure. And again, it's nice to see the mystery and having Jake, uh, sorry, Jane, kind of figuring it out. The fact that he calls her my, you know, my lady Jane, and then saying the nay, like she's putting it together pretty quickly because this is just all too similar to her. And I like that Jurgens isn't afraid to make her really smart and actually put things together. Like everyone else might be too dumb to figure out that Jake isn't Jake anymore, but she knows better and she's able to see through it right away and see that it's actually. Thor, and again, it's not that dissimilar from the original Donald Blake um, uh, identity issues. So, um, yeah, no, I, I really appreciated that she was written like an actual character with agency. Yeah, you're right. She almost instantaneously, the, the first couple signs she sees, she puts it together completely. Which is pretty cool. Um, the shock jock, did you like that his hair was fake? I did. It's, it's a fun bone at the end just to have his hair flying off, but his dialogue the whole time just it's sort of it was sort of written perfectly in what you'd expect from someone doing that kind of bit. Now at the end too, he's trying to get Thor to, you know, record something for the show and when sure Thor refuses he gets mad and it's just very well it's 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 a you could say it's a cliche, but it's incredibly, incredibly well executed. No, for sure. And this is, again, there's so much being seeded in every issue because you have all this going on. You also have Thor dealing with the fact that something is wrong with the hammer. You know, he's seeing something different, and so he knows that, you know, something's something's definitely wrong. It's not acting the way it should. Um, you know, at the end of the issue, we get introduced to, what, Magiston or whatever her name is? 
Um, the, yeah, Magistan Zelia. Ugh. I think that's, that's how I'm betting you say it, but I'm not real sure. Like, the, unfortunately, the Dark Gods are kind of a letdown. Um, and and, and I, I actually personally found their designs to be a little less than inspired. Um, I just, I was, especially Magiston, like, there's just something about the headdress and the kind of a half face. I just never really, bought, like, connected with the character. Yeah, she's just a bit of a cipher. We don't really know anything about her other than that she's the leader of the Dark Gods. And that's, she's, she's evil and she leads evil people and she has to be defeated. <laughs> but that's, that's it. Now, the next issue we get to, now, uh, is there any annual in the way or are we right into the next issue? Now we're right into issue six. So uh, I like the flashback to kind of classic Odin stuff. Uh, so very Jack Kirby inspired, like giant headdress, all the crazy stuff as we have kind of a, uh, a history of or a little bit of a flashback to Loki and Thor. And I think this is the first time I was like, where is Loki? <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. He's, even when they start finding all the Asgardians later on in the book, Loki is notably absent. Although they don't really comment on his absence. No, they don't. I, I'm curious, like, the, one of the blind spots I do have is kind of a, the pre-onslaught Thor. I don't remember a lot of it. I haven't read much of it. I remember it kind of being a mess, and I remember weird things happened with the gods, and then, you know, Thor went away, but Journey to Mystery kept continuing, and I believe it had the missing gods and all sorts of weird stuff with them, but I don't, I couldn't say much about it. Like, I don't know much about what was going on at that time, so um, I'm curious... You know what? What where Loki was where was at that point, or where people thought he was? Yeah, that's a good question because it's just until modern day Loki shows up in the book, he's really just he's not even a topic of conversation. Thor, I can't remember once where he even mentions Loki by name. No, besides having flashbacks to him, that's about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he doesn't mention the flashbacks to anyone. He doesn't talk about them to anyone. Yeah, where I feel like in most modern Thor comics, like he's he's constantly either you know mourning Loki or mad at Loki, or he always has some strong feeling about Loki at all times. I as we go through this, so this issue in particular, it made me wonder how much of it was scripted or say plotted out very like Marvel style, like like. Did it, was it a very loose plot and did Jurgens just kind of give it the JRJR and then he went ran with it or was it more detailed because think about how many pages or how much time is spent just in uh, Thor getting dressed like he he goes to work but then he's like oh yeah I gotta turn into Jake oh crap I, I don't have it on my proper clothes I'm still wearing like my home clothes good thing that I'm gonna have to take some clothes out of this locker like that's that's two pages that did not need to be spent yeah this is definitely one of these slower issues i remember reading this issue and then flipping back and saying did much really happen in this issue because normally jurgens packs it full of stuff whereas here you read the issue and it feels a little bit more like a 2019 comic where you're like not a lot happened here in these 20 pages no but i guess there is a lot of characterization because i mean you have jake you know getting an award from captain america him turning it down you have more of you know jane foster thinking that there's more going on here which i thought was really cool and I really like seeing this version of, of Hercules, just having a good time. Yeah, the very classic, likes to party, likes to drink Hercules. Although I did feel like them having a, a brief scuffle felt very forced. Yeah, it's, it's the old Marvel team-up thing. You have to fight before you team up. And I do, that's, that's another six or seven pages there where... They're just, they fight because that's what they do. Although they do kind of acknowledge it for Hercules to just like, oh, you're, you were in a hurry, why didn't you say so? We didn't have to fight. 
Yeah, well, and he's like, have you, the, we're, we're more than brothers. We're, you know, sorry, that we're more than friends. That, in truth, we aren't as brothers. It's just like, then why did we just get these pages of you pummeling each other? Hercules just likes to fight. He had to put down his couch full of women and put down his beer so he could brawl for a little while. Well, I did like that when Thor decides that, you know, we're, we're going to travel to Olympus, that um, that Hercules still has his beer stein. Like, he's still ready to go. <laughs> You're right, yeah, because at the very last page when he's stunned, he, like, drops the beer stud. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you think of um, of them kind of going to to Olympus? I thought it was an interesting thing to do, is to go and see what's up with the other gods. And I think it's it led to some interesting fights where Thor's all of a sudden, the entire pantheon is attacking Thor because they hold it against him. Although it does it doesn't really lead to much. It leads to Hercules and Thor hanging out some more later on, but it's just kind of an excuse for Thor to fight some different set of gods, which can be fun, but it's a little bit like the the Namor story where the overall consequences and overall moving forward of the story aren't necessarily the main thrust of what's going on. True. And like we, we get to, I mean, there's a, there's little things going on. I mean, you see more of the hammer, you know, not, not listening. So it hits in um, uh, one of the Olympians in the head. Um, because it wasn't responding to, to Thor. Like, you have little things like that. You do have a little bit more discussion between the Dark Gods and and, um, and Odin, but it def- definitely felt like it went on a long time. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of pages of them more, all the gods more or less standing around, arguing, throwing <laughs> a couple punches, arguing some more, having a quick little flashback. Um, so yeah, so in the end... Thor comes back not having really learned too much, but have having having had a ton of different brawls and different people. For sure. Now, what, what did you? What was your your take on this version of Zeus? Uh, well, it's hard to say too much about this particular take, just because I don't know within the Marvel universe many other takes. I know Zeus is around. He's especially in a lot of Hercules stories. But I haven't personally read a lot of those, so he just felt very much like a generic version of Zeus to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the issue really doesn't add, end up adding a lot, and as you said, they they end up getting banished from Olympus anyway. So it's like, well, thanks. That was that was a fun that was a fun you know uh, thing to do for a while. Um, what I do like in terms of continuity is that you know when Thor kind of goes away, Hercules is kind of standing there, and as you do in comics, over here is a radio story uh, about the Thunderbolts, and uh, decides that he's going to go fight them, um, which leads into his appearance in Thunderbolts twenty two, and I really love that kind of stuff where. You have, you know, editor boxes and kind of leading into other things, and that's what always made the Marvel Universe feel more organic, is that, you know, you get to the end of this issue, you not only find out what's going to happen in the next issue for uh, for Thor, but also this is where you're going to be able to find Hercules next. And yes, it's really just advertising, but it felt organic in a way that, well, as organic as listening to a radio story could be, but it definitely felt cool. Like, oh, well, that, that's where that character's going to go, because he overheard something. It is very classic Marvel, yeah, that... You're at the end of a Thor book, and Hercules hears something. They let you know that if you want to see Hercules, go over to Thunderbolt. So it does gives you that whole interconnected feeling, and it's done. And it's kind of a funny thing, like you just hear something on the radio, kind of like how in a movie you turn on the TV, and the TV's tuned to exactly what you want to hear, exactly what you want to hear. It. <laughs> but you know, that's that's comic books, and it's fun. It's you know, it's it's the very end of an issue, and you know, it make me want to pick up Thunderbolts twenty two. Yeah, and I'll be honest, it's a good issue. Yeah, so yeah. 
it works. So then we have uh, a nice crossover. The Mighty Thor Eight is that the next thing in your uh, your collection? Uh, no, I've got the Mighty Thor ninety nine annual with him and Doctor Doom. Woof. Okay, well, lead us through that. All right, so in this one, we've got Jorgen's writing and drawing, and it's more or less a flashback to how Thor returned after Heroes Reborn. It's a long story with him and Doctor Doom ending up on a foreign planet. Thor falls in love, or maybe not falls in love. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's touch and go at first. I'm not really sure what's happening. Doctor Doom messes it all up, but then it turns out that maybe she had manipulated things but in the end it's basically a very long explanation for how thor ends up back on earth after the events of heroes reborn wow that sounds long i think it actually does come up again i know it gets referenced at some point later on in the book the events of this because effectively the woman thor meets she something she does i can't remember the exact context but it does come up again Interesting. It's all it's all framed around him hanging out with the Fantastic Four. So they're welcoming they're welcoming Thor back and thanking him because I guess during the events of the Heroes Return miniseries that brought him back from Marvel Universe, Thor had done something to save some members of the Fantastic Four, Franklin. So they gave him a present and were thanking him, and in return, Thor was you know, telling his story. No, that 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 I can speak to. So that yeah, he he, Doctor Doom was trying to take over the ship that was going to bring all the heroes back from Heroes Reborn, and uh, then Thor kind of was able to get him out of the ship, uh, but then they thought that they, may have, they might have been lost forever, uh, but it was able to make sure that he wasn't able to kind of mess with their return. Yeah, yeah, so that, that's, that's, what, that's what this story is telling, and it's telling, do you think they're gone forever? Well, how are they not gone forever? It explains that. Interesting. So you didn't, yeah, really, it's, it's a, you didn't care much for it, or...? No, it, so maybe my explanation didn't show up. I thought it was a pretty solid issue. It, it's it's skippable in the sense that if you don't read it, you won't really miss much in the overall story. But if you're just looking for a good Thor Doctor Doom story, some good art, some good storytelling, there's nothing mind blowing in it. But the previous annual, it was sort of a slog. This one I enjoyed reading. Okay, next issue. So we got the crossover. Yes. Now, what'd you think of this? Like, I read it as it, as it was coming out. So I read it in, what, 98? So I was, I guess, 14, 15 years old when I read this for the first time. So I'm interested to get your impressions of it. Well, first, I, I love they went with the ultra-classic Spider-Man plot of Aunt May needs her meds. <laughs> <laughs> and other than that, you basically have, a, is his name Tokets, Tokots? And he's going around rhyming. He's... I mean, it's, it's just sort of a, an invented excuse for them to team up, but it's a fun story, and it does move the overall plot forward, because this is when the Dark Gods begin to find out that Thor is alive, so it, it's it's important to the ongoing narrative. Well, very much so, yeah. Takats, or whatever his name is, is not that interesting a character, but he definitely is important to the Dark Gods knowing that Thor is around. Exactly. It's a testament to Ramita here because he's drawing both parts of the crossover which you know when you're only drawing a monthly you're drawing two monthly books now you're handling your own crossover that's an impressive amount of output 
I mean, in this issue in particular, I found uh, the Thor issue, the details are really, really good. Like some issues, you know, it, it definitely felt like maybe he was going a little bit lighter on it, as you said, maybe doing a bit more breakdowns. But uh, in this issue, I, I feel like he really kind of stepped it up a notch somehow. Like the shots of Balder when, you know, he again, he no one does beat up pulpy faces like John Romita Jr., but I, these are some of the better ones. Like the look on Balder's face when he's like, you know, yelling about – you know, how Baldur the Brave will never shrink from his duty to Odin and Asgard. Like, you kind of, he sells that with the the look in, in, in Baldur's eyes, right? And just kind of seeing how he's been beaten, but he's still, you know, unwilling to uh, to give up. And how he even tries to fight Paracus, and it goes very poorly. But, you know, this character's never going to give up. And you definitely get that in the art. And even the um, his art on the, you know, Peter scenes with AMA, that feels very, you know, very classic Peter Parker, of the, especially in the 90s. Yeah, you're right. That Baldar panel is great. It's it is, it's it's classic Ramita beat up pulpy face, but it's excellently executed, and the dialogue really adds to it. Uh, speaking of classic John Romita Jr. stuff, uh, there's a, a, a shot of uh, Thor holding up something heavy while having the the hammer in his belt, which I don't think I've ever seen anywhere else. Yeah, it's yeah. I just kind of noticed that. Yeah, that as you pointed out, that is it makes sense. I guess normally he has his strap. He puts puts it on I guess in this case he didn't have time to use the strap or so I have a question but, would, would he turn back to Jake if he's not holding it but it's just on his belt ooh that's a that's a good question does he have to hold it in his hand or just simply touching his body if he if he just rests his foot on his hammer is that sufficient right or or does it have to be <laughs> in the loop if it's in the loop it counts but if it's not in the loop it doesn't like uh, we're gonna have to find Tom Rebord and ask him these important questions. I <laughs> know in the in the collection I don't have part 2, so I don't have the uh, the the Peter Parker Spider-Man part of the issue, but um, yeah, how does it how does it end? Can you remind me? Uh, it's more or less they brawl through the entire issue. They keep fighting Takats, eventually they defeat him and he runs away, but runs away knowing that Thor is now around. But there's not too much to it, you know. Jake Olson helps out Aunt May, helps get her her meds. So that, that's that's a good you know connection there. Is that Thor and Spider Man teamed up, but now Jake Olson and Peter Parker team up to help someone. So there's a nice connection there. But it's sort of it, it's the kind of thing as a kid. If you read part one and had to guess how part two was going to go because you couldn't find it anywhere, you'd be exactly right. <laughs> that's good to know. And the next issue is an interesting one, just artistically, because you have John Buscema and Jerry Ordway as the special guest artists. You do, yeah. It's a it's a big change in the style from the way Ramita looks. So, how do you feel about that? Like, do you think it, it works? Do you think it's uh, more kind of interrupts the flow? Like, how do you? I mean, it's a great art, artistic team. Let's be honest. Like, it's not like they just picked some random fill-in artist. Like, you picked John Buscema, one of the legends of the business. Um, so, what do you think of him taking over? Well, I mean, I'm not going to be. He's, of course, he's an excellent artist, but I feel like a lot of times with some of these older artists, as the the newer techniques in terms of coloring and those kind of things came in, it doesn't always fit well with their art style. There's there's a, a clash starts happening there. So I don't think it's as strong as you might, you know, consider his art to be on average. Interesting. Yeah, I think you're not necessarily wrong. I think there's definitely parts here where yeah, like it felt like a little looser or like another artist might have done additional rendering or a little bit more hatch work. And you don't really see that here, but it definitely has very clean, simple line work. Um, 
And yeah, it was, it was kind of nice. And it's interesting that he gets to kind of do the issue where we see more of the Dark Gods and their history, which definitely feels very kind of classic uh, Marvel. And yeah, I don't think you could find someone at the time who was more classic Marvel than John Buscema. That's, that's definitely true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, if among the issues they could have picked for him to do, this one's a pretty good fit for that, just because it does provide that backstory. It, work, it works well. It always works well in flashbacks, and you can change up the art style because it just sort of communicates this is different. This is not what you saw before. Mm-hmm. Even the last page of the issue where you have uh, you know Thor doing a very classic, like holding up his, his hammer and you know making a pronouncement, that, that just screams classic Thor. That is that that very last panel that looks excellent. That that looks more sort of like what you would expect given the art team that's on this, um, and much 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 stronger work there than you might see other places. Um, I don't I don't, feel like, I don't I don't want to bash that as artists, but I just feel like if you were if you were making a top ten John Buscema issues, this one would not fall on its own. No, that's fair. And maybe not his best work. And as you said, part of it's just of the times, too. Like, you're sandwiching it in the middle of Johnny Meter Jr. doing some really excellent work, and he's just got a different, more modern style than Busema does. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, yeah, especially you said it, it, the stuff in this issue is very clean, whereas Ramita can be very scratchy at times. So you have a big conflict there. And I, I feel like it always helps whenever you're going to change up artists that you can usually. In most cases, it's better if you can find an artist who has a similar aesthetic to the person who is the main artist on the book. So the next issue has the worst cover of the bunch. I don't know if you're looking yeah, at it right Thor's now. Thor's got a weird face. Thor's got a weird face. The perspective is a little weird. Uh, just kind of weird choices. Like, his body just looks weirdly elongated. So does um, Pericus's body. Like, his somehow the forced perspective of his legs going all the way around Thor... <laughs> Yeah, it's. I, I, yeah, I think if you're right, if you had a vote on my least favorite cover, this would be it. There's a lot of there's a lot of great covers in here. So it's, it's the competition's stiff, but even just judged relative to your average cover from your average book, it's not the. I think it, if I think it, the overall layout is fine, but the execution leaves a little wanting. Now, this particular issue, there's pages here where I feel like you can see that Jansen's taking over more. And do and because now they're just listed as John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janssen as artists, so they're not even breaking it down. And you can see a lot more of the scratchiness that Janssen definitely brings to the table. Agreed. If just looking at the page where it, the, the splash page where it lists the credits, Thor himself on that page just looks far less detailed than he would have looked back in issue one or two. True. But the but some of the sh- the shadowing and the kind of the the way that the, the inks are kind of accentuating that again is more of style that Jansen would have and even on the page following like even just some of the uh, the heavier work on you know the hair and the the darker shadows like that's definitely something that's coming from uh, Jansen I would I would think anyway that's a really good point yeah that does seem consistent with with his style. And, you know, it kind of works, though, because the, the material is definitely getting a little bit, you know, darker and more, you know, more edgy, right? Because you have, you know, Thor having to deal with, the, you know, the Dark Gods, but they're actually, you know, they have Sif um, uh, hostage. Like, it's, it, you know, it, it's time to basically really show down and, and, and free his people. You're right, it is. It does take a darker turn. Because before we had it where you know, Thor was kind of bummed out and lonely, but the stories themselves weren't very dark, whereas this is more like a literally going to be crawling through the sewers type story. 
Yeah. So, like, how do you feel? So, basically, it's like what two or three issues that kind of lead into him being able to take on the Dark Gods. But how do you feel about Paracus suddenly being able to kind of affect uh, Molnir? Like, does that feel like an earned thing that should be that easy? Because it, it happens pretty quickly and easily. And the way in which Thor reacts is as if this has never happened before. Maybe it hasn't at this point. But it just feels like, you know, is that purely being done to try and sell the actual power of the Dark Gods? And is that an earned feeling? Not particularly. I feel like it's the kind of thing you do when you want to really put a villain over strong and you don't have a lot of time left to do it. Like, well, we need to establish this guy as a real danger to Thor. What can he do? Well, he could break Thor's hammer. I feel like it's the same thing you might do in, you know, with a Captain America book. Well, if he can break Captain America's shield, then he must be a big threat. Mm. And this goes back to what you mentioned before, which is the Dark Gods really aren't ever developed very much. And now they're sort of taking these late shortcuts at the very end to make them seem dangerous. When before you just kind of had them standing there waiting for Thor the whole time. <laughs> what do you think of the fight with Paracus and Thor as he kind of just beats him and eventually he's able to, as you say, get into a sewer? I, mean, I think it's a great double page spread where you just, you know, it's just Ramita showing various images of. Thor getting beat down, although he doesn't he doesn't pulp Thor up like you would normally see, which lends more um, support to the whole Klaus Janssen theory there, that you just don't have the same pulpiness. Hmm, that's true. And uh, I think, you know, you said Thor has to literally run away into the sewers to survive. Which is not something we're used to seeing, right? Like, that's a very... And I like the idea later that they're like, well, he couldn't have gone in there because he was too big. <laughs> <laughs> It's because they're they're watching him crawl in, so they saw him. I guess they weren't they see watching. With their own eyes, and they, and they deny it. I guess they weren't really watching, like which is weird, right? Like you just beat this guy up and you turn away and let him crawl away. Like that's kind of crazy. It's some weird Doctor Evil stuff. Like no, I'm not going to watch him. <laughs> I'm going to assume he died. How do you feel about like what where Jake goes and who how he's able to survive and eventually you know come back to fight against uh, the Dark Gods? Like, does that work for you or like you know again seeing him with Volstag and all that kind of stuff? Like, does that seem like something that makes sense or is it just kind of uh, you know just trying to draw the story out more? Uh, well, it may draw out a little bit more than needed, but I think it was fun going into the sewers and kind of seeing how, well, here's Volstagg, but he's been starved into oblivion, and, you know, here's all the gods, and they've been locked up and forced to work like slaves, and, you know, then Jake Olsen has to work to free them, so I think it, it, it works. Could you have cut that issue out and shortened the story? Sure, but it's, only, it's still only a three-issue story, so I don't feel like the, the padding is too much there. Now, what about There's when, still a lot that happens. What about when Jake takes so much ridiculous punishment? Like, he gets cracked against a wall, then he gets hit again by Paracus, and then Paracus seems to electrocute him, and then he seems to break his back. <laughs> and then Thor turns in, like, is able to turn back into Thor, picking up Molnir and, like, fusing it back together. I'm like, okay, I, I understand Thor's cool, but, like, come on, guys. Yeah, he just has that magical protagonist force field that keeps him safe. That's the, Because, yeah, if, if he can beat down Thor and almost kill Thor, then he should basically instantaneously kill Jake Olsen the moment he punches him once. <laughs> now, what did you think about him uh, getting the Destroyer armor to help him and, and team up with him? I thought it was a cool twist. I love that last page in issue 11 where you, know, you see the Destroyer, he's just sitting in his chair, and he's refusing to help. He's just 
so I guess he's been sitting there for months just waiting bored for someone to show up and talk to him and now he's in a foul mood yeah I like like the idea that Thor had to go get help he realized I can't beat this on my own yeah, no, I like that. That definitely. Well, seeing him, seeing Destroyer sitting here, made me realize that you know all he wanted was just to have a shield and some armor, and <laughs> you know, that's all he wanted this entire time. No, it, it definitely again helps sell more. Than, the Dark Gods haven't necessarily done a lot to really warrant fear, but you see people acting in certain ways that is meant to promote the level of threat that they actually have. So the fact that Thor would go team up with the destroyer armor is definitely like, you know, Jurgen saying like, this is how big a threat it is. He actually has to go, you know, get an enemy to help him. Definitely true. And I was just thinking with this, you know, we basically had this three issue resolution of this entire story. And I was trying to think in my head compared to how it might be handled today. Whereas we have something like war of the realms and Thor now, where they've been building and building to that for years and years and years. Now it's going to be this big event. Whereas here, it's this big story, but it takes place over one year, and the big event takes place over three issues in the main book. It's a very different storytelling style they're going for here versus what they would probably do today. Yeah, especially, like, this is a double-sized issue, and yet most of the issue is just Thor going to get the Destroyer. Like, you think about how much pay, how many pages are him going to talk to the Destroyer, fighting the Destroyer, because it's a Marvel comic, and then going to, you know, actually take the uh, Destroyer um, with them and, and showing him his body and saying that we're going to try and get you back into your body and let's get Hercules and let's all go to you know Asgard. Like, that's a lot of real estate that you don't even get to the big climax. Like, And then once they get there, there's a lot of, there's just like kind of big splash pages of them having a fight. That is true. Yeah, the, about a quarter of the double-sized issue is just Thor more or less convincing Destroyer. It's some cool images, that's good storytelling, but if this issue wasn't double-sized, I don't think it would have been as good, because I think all that stuff's quality. But you could have told the same story in 22 pages instead of 44. Uh, another thing I liked and thought was hilarious, especially considering this is ninety eight ninety nine, is uh, Jake Olson's laptop. Yeah. Which I thought was well, I like, hilarious. The answer I think is a great thing is... Uh, Speaking of the laptop, is Jorgens, you know, he brought back the Destroyer from issue one and two. Then he brings back the robot, whatever his name is, from earlier. Like, he brings all these things that were seemingly not that important. He brings them back in the end and gives them some relevance. But yeah, but he does have, like, a very 1996 laptop going in this panel. <laughs> Pretty awesome. But, but yeah, like there's there's definitely a lot of like kind of bringing everything of of the past year back together to make sure that the you know, the dark gods go away and that you know um, uh, Odin and the rest are able to be successful. There's a lot near the end though of where it just becomes giant big blasting and it's kind of like the end of most movies these days uh, that have CG. Like it's just giant blasting going on and you don't even really know what's happening half the time but it's just big bold exciting action and a lot of a lot of beams of light going everywhere yeah you're right it's, it's very much the cliche last 20 minutes of a marvel movie like you said just lots of blasts lots of fighting it's the third act lots of yeah you know, it's just everything's gonna explode and the heroes win and odin does like a weird bear hug while he's in his loin skin cloth <laughs> Yeah. And then the person's yeah. just dead, and they're just like, it's o tis over. And I'm like, what just happened? Yeah, they really do leave all the resolution here to the next issue. Like, you, you get all the fighting in 12, the double size issue, and they sort of set 13 aside to try to go back and explain, okay, what's all this mean? 
who was Mardo, 13 sort of set aside to tie up all the loose ends. So Marno is really just one of the ravens from from Odin, and his job was basically to protect Thor and make sure they'd be able to kind of protect everyone later. And the reason why he was acting like such a dick was that he had to do what he had to do to, you know, make sure that no one could find Thor. And now he's just back to being the raven. What do you think yep. about that? Well, on the one hand, it's kind of a letdown in that the character is basically a non-character, but I. It's almost salvaged, or I would say it is salvaged by just how funny it is when Marno shows up and he's making fun of Odin, and Odin's getting furious, and how dare you lay your hands on Odin? And he found out, oh, it's the Raven. The, Ra- the Raven's the one person allowed to mess with Odin, and so it's it's a very very funny scene. But is I guess we're conditioned now where every time someone shows up with a mask and you don't know who they are in comics, they always have to be revealed to be some big important secret person back from the dead and this is it's not forcing itself to do that in this case he's not going to try to reveal oh it was loki he just you know not even sure what to say about it in that case it's 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 a very different choice than what you'd probably see today true and it does make me again wonder if this was always his plan or just something that he thought made sense later. Like, I, I think that about a lot of this stuff with, with Jurgens is because I know that at times he can be a very off-the-cuff writer, and I like that because he's able to kind of put things down and then figures out his way around it. Some writers are like that. Some writers are very methodical and have everything planned out 100 issues ahead. I don't necessarily feel that way with Jurgens, but I, I don't know. I, and maybe I'm not giving him enough credit, but I'm curious when that decision kind of came down to do that with Marno. Yeah, I'd be really curious on that, too. Have you ever done an interview with Dan Jorgens? I've done two, but I don't think we did a lot of Thor. Ah, uh, so think... you got to do a third. You yeah. go through, and hopefully he won't listen to this and hear anything negative I said. You can just tell him that you, you love it, and anyone that doesn't love it is a fool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, on the whole, it's still a very enjoyable run. It has a lot of good moments. No, I agree. So that's the part he should listen to. <laughs> yeah, show him, play him that clip. <laughs> so the the, the, epilogue, the, only, the only, sorry, go ahead. The only thing I really bashed in the entire book so far was the issue he didn't write. So that's true. We've we pretty much liked everything to varying degrees, but yeah. Um, the, a very cl- kind of old school classic Thor moment at the end of the issue is when you know they're having the big party and then they're having the the for honor for glory and they're all having like a cheers. That felt like a very old school classic kind of idea. Oh, definitely. This is a. Like, this page feels straight out of, like, a 1960s Thor-type thing. So the layout of the page, everything about it, it's screams classic Thor, to the extent I know classic Thor. It's interesting, too, as a choice, because on that last page, uh, last page with Thor on it, at least, with the fact that there is white space in the back, definitely, it adds a different feeling in, to that uh, page, which, to me, is a little bit more classic, because it doesn't feel as, as busy. It doesn't feel like it has to, you know, fill every available space. I completely agree. Now, but you also do get the epilogue. Yeah, that's true. But before we get to the epilogue, uh, Thor does have the hammer in his belt again. <laughs> You're right. Which seems like it'd be wildly uncomfortable. Yeah. But, I mean, what else would he do? He'd have to, like, he's busy drinking. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because I, the, 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 the page cuts off part of his body so if they'd put it in his other hand everyone would have been like is he holding the hammer like where's the hammer so this way the hammer's still in the shot 
Well, I wonder if, if he keeps drawing it in the belt in this case, because it is important that, you know, you might think, well, if he's out drinking, he'll just leave his hammer sitting back in his room and he can call it when he needs it. But now that he does have that ticking clock again, he kind of has to keep it armed at all times. So he sort of just sticks it in his belt and deals with it. Do you think when he's walking around with it on his belt that other Asgardians think that he just has this weird tick that he likes to touch his hammer every minute? <laughs> Yeah, no one wants to say anything to him though. He, he's the boss's son, so do what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> every you know, every minute. So, what do you think of this epilogue? I really like the uh, I really like the art here and the shading on it, and it definitely felt like a page out of his uh, Peter Parker Spectacular Spider. Uh, sorry, Peter Parker Spider Man issues because of just the the overall tone and the idea that you know that the, they're going through Jake Olson's place and discovering that he's actually a, a, a thief and a drug pusher, and they're gonna put they're gonna arrest him, and he's going down. Yeah, I, it, I think it's a great example of Jurgens, where he's just resolved this big story, but he immediately grabs you and says, oh, remember that other plot we haven't mentioned in a while? Well, now it's coming to the forefront. For sure. Like, that's, that's again, a damn damn effective uh, crossover. Or, not crossover, uh, cliffhanger. It is. It makes you, even even though you, if without that page, you might feel like, well, I, I read A Year of Thor, that was good stuff, that's, that's fine. But then you're like, oh, I, I need to keep going. Now the next issue is—is it a—is it a Ladron co- cover? Like, do you see a name on it anywhere? Or? Uh, no, I can't see a name anywhere on it. Because it's yeah, it's it's the cover to fourteen, guest starring Iron Man, and it kind of looks like a Larson meets Kirby, which makes me think it's Ladron. I could be wrong. Um, it's an interesting choice. And the interior art is very different because it's by my, a, a very, like, I guess, early on Mike McCone. Yeah, it's definitely has some of his hallmarks, but it doesn't look quite as nice as some of his current work looks. No, and it did feel like a very, it, did, it was one of those issues where I felt like I missed something when I, at least when I started reading it, because like it, you could tell it's right after the last issue. You have, um, uh, Colonel Case, you know, kind of checking out, although there seems to be no security with him, which I feel is very hard to believe. Like this Colonel was possessing the destroyer. Now he's, now he's fine. You don't think there'd be some government brass there to get him? Well, they mentioned that uh, he throws an offhand line about how, like, oh, the Avengers gave some testimony, and now he's going to walk away free. Uh, I guess so. I guess so. All right. So I guess if, if Captain America says it's okay, it's okay. That's in the Constitution, I think. So Iron Man shows up with Jake Olson, and uh, then you get a, a flashback to some you know, kind of fun hijinks of, you know, uh, Thor and, and Iron Man recovering part of the uh, the Rainbow Bridge. And, uh, you know, so there's some more Namor there. And it's a lot of kind of broing out between Iron Man and, and Thor and the Warriors 3 and everyone there. And they're, they're fighting against the Absorbing Man and the Titania. And then, you know, Thor's new Achilles heel that sometimes the hammer doesn't do what he wants to. And it gets lodged somewhere. And then he, you know, can't turn back into Thor. And he's just stuck being old. And again, interesting. And then the idea that he actually has a heart attack here is kind of cool. It is. It's, it's it's a good follow up to you know. At first, they, so I like how they do it, where they they more or less make you think you're reading just sort of a, a single off issue following up after this big story. Then they also pull you back quickly into the bigger plot to say, oh, actually, here's the whole hammer situation. Who here's the guy who was actually inside the hammer the whole time so it 
it kind of tricks you into thinking it's just a fun issue where he fights the absorbing man and Iron Man shows up when really it's something much much bigger going on for sure there is some dark humor though here like there's a maybe not even humor but there's a shot where after Thor has brought in Jake Olson because he's having the heart attack and people are, are watching it and one guy says uh you know, Iron Man says, near as I can tell, your friend got caught up in Thor's battle and suffered cardiac arrest. And the other person says, again? Didn't he learn his lesson the first time? Whoa! <laughs> this guy's having a heart attack. Like, maybe maybe make jokes later. Like, he could potentially die. Those damn heroes always trying to save people. <laughs> right? Uh, let's, let's heap scorn upon them. <laughs> and I did like the idea that you had this moment where Jake is there and, uh, sorry, Jake and Thor you know, in the kind of the mindscaper in the same space and Jake is talking and, and uh, Thor can't hear. And I really like that. I agree. I think this is the point where the whole Jake Olsen thing really starts to get interesting when Thor has to start thinking about who is Jake Olsen? Really? What do I actually know about this life that I'm living? Does this guy have anything that I should know about? For sure. Now, in the next issue, we don't have John Romita. We have Lee Weeks and Klaus Jensen. And I think this is where you get a sense of just maybe how heavy Klaus was, because it doesn't look that different. I mean, it's, it's noticeably not JRJR, but not necessarily that much, because there's still a lot of Jensen in there over top of Lee Weeks. I think that definitely does help bridge the gap, having that common inker, especially an inker who is adding so much to it. It looks much more similar to John Romita than the previous Mike McCone issue did. So here we do find out that, you know, the kind of the secret that Demetrius, you know, here's the thing about Demetrius. He's a detective, right? But at the same time, he's been an undercover paramedic for how long? Like, I don't know about you. He's made of many skills. Well, but that, that's a big skill. It's kind of like, okay, so my wife likes watching Station 19, which is a spinoff from Grey's Anatomy. And so in that show, and I don't know how accurate this is to the U.S. system, but it seems they really play up the fact that being a firefighter means you're also basically an EMT most of the time. And I'm like, is that real? I thought there was a point, a reason why you have, you know, a fire department and then you have an ambulance and you don't have the fire departments doing the same like, level of stuff that you have an EMT doing. And so here I'm like, well, this guy's a cop, but obviously he can also be an EMT. So I know there actually is a lot of overlap there. My brother actually is a firefighter, and I know he, a lot of stuff he does does tend to be those kind of emergency medical type things. So okay. I can see some overlap there. But I'm not sure police have the same overlap. I, I'm, especially, I don't think an undercover police officer necessarily had the same. Unless he happened to be an EMT, then he became a cop, and then he went <laughs> undercover. It's like he'd be incredibly uniquely qualified to do this job. Well, I feel like you just got a no prize, right? Like, you just, you just you solved it. <laughs> <laughs> So this issue is pretty important because that you have Jane having a lot of discussions with Jake and saying, like, I know who you are. I know you're Thor. Just be straight with him. Um, and he's like, I need your help. And so she's now actively engaged in getting him. Like, this is one of the things where I don't know if Jane Foster's really thinking this through. Because obviously Jake's in a, a rough spot. But at the end of the day, he's still Thor. He could just be Thor forever and just not be Jake anymore. Whereas she's still Jane Foster. Yet she's now aiding and abetting a potential felon. Uh, this is some crazy stuff. It does seem insanely risky, but again, if you remember back, she knows that the the captain or the lieutenant or whoever it was that was in the destroyer armor, as long as Captain America puts in a good word for you, you'll be fine. So I think this is her assumptions. After this is all done, throw it to Captain America, 
Captain Red will talk to the cops and I'll walk away scot-free. Hmm, probably. Now, at the end of the issue, this is one of those cliffhangers that ends up not in any way being an actual cliffhanger. But it's just, it looks like a cliffhanger here is that you have Jake and Jane running and then you have the, the cop saying, stop, I'm authorized to use deadly force. And then he's just taking shots. And that's like, that's a really good ending. Like, that's like, holy shit. Did, did he get one of them? And then when you get to the next issue, it really doesn't feel like it is able to, like, they're far away. No one got hurt. They're fine. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. There's literally nothing comes of it. He's shooting his gun, and the next time you see them, they're just sort of jogging along like no one's shooting at them. Yeah, it, it's it's too bad because, again, that was such a compelling ending. Like, that definitely would have made me want to see what happened next because it, just in the way it was, um, it was illustrated, like, it was a very strong image. And then the imagery means nothing because we get nothing from it. It seems like a wildly strong use of force, too, by the cop. Like, basically, if a doctor and a low-level drug dealer running away, you probably shouldn't fire your gun in an open space with our people around like that. You should probably just, like, you can, you can literally still see them. You can run, you can run after them. But he's like, no, I don't want to run. I'll just shoot. <laughs> <laughs> now, what did you think of the uh, the big battle here where you have the Warriors 3 helping Thor as he fights against his uh, his tormentors? Well, it's fun to have them back in the book where they were, they were more or less out of it until you met them down in the pits. So it's nice to have, you know, Volstag back, doing his Volstag type things. But it does sort of just seem like a way to introduce the other villains, have them do a little bit of fighting. Um, there's not too much plot importance happening right there. And at the end of this issue, we find out something pretty big. Yes, it's finally the return. So how does this make sense to you? So my, my thought, I haven't read past this page where we finally see Loki but I guess when we last left off in the previous time we saw him, Odin was in this big battle so my assumption is that Odin must have lost that battle Loki sees that somehow and Loki slides on in and is pretending to be Odin at that point so the real Odin's off somewhere kidnapped in trouble and Loki's just taking advantage of it Now what do you think of that last shot of Loki though? It's pretty. It's a pretty good shot by, uh, by the artist it's a nice page. It definitely gives him a very evil, menacing look. He does a great job with the mouth and eyes and this kind of stuff, really letting you know. Ramit is so strong. He's, I mean, he's good at drawing combat and things like that, but his storytelling is really just A+. plus. Now, what's interesting and kind of disappointing is that like, it's like, next, believe it or not, things get worse. Dare we say juggernaut? And then instead of going right, jumping right into that, we go into other stuff. <laughs> yeah, the... We are back to the eighth day crossover from the Iron Man omnibus, which is probably the weakest part of that omnibus. So it's back again. So when we pick up next time, that's where we'll be doing another more Iron Man than that massive last issue where it's all juggernauts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, I can say from my memories that after that, it definitely gets bigger and crazier. Yeah, I'm excited to keep going through it. I... I have literally no idea what happens in the second half of this omnibus, so it's all going to be stuff I'm looking forward to reading, stuff where I have... Because like you said, it's not really referenced in any of the current Thor, so I'm a blank slate when it comes to this. And any, any surprises contained in this back half will truly surprise me. 
That's one of my favorite things about reading comics that I've never read before from a time period that, you know, maybe not have known a lot about. Like, I was recently on the Epic Marvel podcast. I was talking about uh, Daredevil, and I'm a big Daredevil fan, yet I still have gaps in my memory or gaps in my knowledge of, of Daredevil. And we read stuff from, like, the early 100 issues of Daredevil. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. This is great. I can't wait to read more of this. Like, there's just something exciting because I get jaded sometimes because I feel like I've read everything. And then I remember, no, I haven't. That's a good point. When it comes to Daredevil for me, I can tell you what happens in issue one, and I can tell you nothing until Frank Miller shows up. <laughs> and to be honest, most people would probably have the same problem. Yeah, it's it's just... It seems to me if there's a common blank spot most big Marvel fans have, it's probably that era, just because the Miller stuff is so influential that that's a people... When people tell you to read classic Daredevil... They mean that, not the earliest issues of Daredevil. Yeah, I, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, I guess he's probably one of the only Marvel heroes that that would kind of be a true thing. Where if you say like read classic X, and it's not the Stanley stuff, like you know, with Thor, it's arguable because if you say classic stuff, like you know, he he had a lot of kind of classic runs that you know maybe weren't the Simonson run that kind of revolutionized the character but they were still kind of classic and Spider-Man obviously has a lot of different runs that but if you say classic Spider-Man you're going back to either you know John Romita Jr. sorry senior or you're going to Steve Ditko uh, X-Men if you say classic X-Men people kind of know that that's not uncanny that you're going right back to the 60s but you know it won't be as good as the 70s stuff um, yeah X-Men I think was the, was the other one is yeah People may think the 60s, but if I told you I want you to read the definitive sort of early X-Men, you, they, they're probably hoping you read Claremont. Yeah, I, I think I think if once you put in the word definitive, it's Claremont. If you say classic, mm. then because there was like, you know, uh, even the way they market the, the omnibuses and stuff, like you had like kind of an X-Men classic and Uncanny X-Men were kind of two separate things because they're so different from each other. That's a good point. I'm looking at them on my shelf, and you're right. The, the first two volumes of X-Men Omnibuses are just called The X-Men. And that's the difference, right? Because Uncanny, what, didn't start being the name until I think issue 137 or something, but retroactively, everyone just kind of thinks of it as Uncanny X-Men. Exactly. You're, you're right on point with that. So next time, at some point, hopefully not too long from now, we will reconvene and we will slog through the eighth day um, for what will feel like the eighth day. Um, <laughs> And then we will read much better stuff as we finish out the Heroes Return volumes. Yeah, it's it's crazy how much there is to go. Like I think you said, there's about 80 issues across these two omnibuses, and so far we've covered maybe not even quite half of one omnibus. And there's that's we covered a, a lot of material there, so it's a lot to go. I know it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, there's a lot to come and a lot of big, bold, crazy, world-changing kind of stuff. Like, I'm, I'm excited for you because you've never read any of it and you don't really know what's to come because, again, they've never referenced it. But there's some really good stuff. The very end of the uh, Volume 2 omnibus is not by Dan Jurgens at all. It's by Michael Avon Oming. And uh, that's one of my favorite Thor stories. Uh, nothing against the Jurgens stuff because, I, again, I really enjoy it and it definitely has a more classic feel. Um, but there's just something about how Ragnarok goes and informs 
how we don't see the character for years um, that I've always found very special. Um, in fact, like I remember when it came out, I, I think I read someone else's singles and I was like, I need this in trade like right now. Uh, back when I wasn't really buying trades, I was still just buying exclusively singles, but I was like, I'm not going to be able to find these, these Avengers disassembled versions of uh, Thor. So I'm going to just get the, this, this trade and I still have that trade and it's, it's just phenomenal stuff. Yeah. I've always heard good things about that particular story. I've, I know how it, I know Ragnarok happens in the end, but I know none of the sort of machinations that take place in the book. Okay, good. Well, good because you you will be. Uh, I almost think that when we do when we get there eventually, um, that I could that that would almost be its episode on its own, just that storyline because it's such a dense read. There's just so much happening, so many big things, uh, and again, it's so different from the entirety of the Jurgens run that you could almost have them completely separate, and you wouldn't even realize they happened. A month apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And what is nice, what you mentioned, is with, with this stuff, having these big chunks where I can be surprised, is there's almost no chance walking around out in the world someone's going to spoil 20-year-old Thor stories for you. Like, if you haven't seen Stranger Things, someone might spoil it for you. If you haven't seen Game of Thrones, <laughs> someone might spoil it for you. No one's going to accidentally tell you the ending to some 25-year-old Thor story. <laughs> That's true. It's funny, actually, that, that you mentioned that because um, so I recorded an episode yesterday about uh, uh, the identity crisis from DC that came out about what did I say. Uh, I guess it was fifteen years ago, and so I did an episode about it. and I spoiled the crap out of it because again, it's a fifteen-year-old story. And then um, friend of the show Eric Anthony was kind of ribbing me about it. He's like, "You gave away the entire story. Now I'm going to know all this stuff." And I'm like, "You are messing with me, right?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay, good." Because I felt really bad for a second. I'm like, has someone not read this? Who's going to read this? Like, listen to this episode and get all the way through and be like, "Oh my god, maybe I should stop because I haven't read this yet." Well, I, I would file that under that. That's such a notable story and old that that's in a allowed to be spoiled category. That's in like the dark phoenix category of like you know it's not a spoiler to say Jean gray dies anymore mm, true i we, we have a weird spoiler culture right like at what point are you fully fine to, to to spoil something like can i spoil citizen kane will that ruin it for everyone well that, that yeah, that's the problem i've had where i've generally haven't i used to always go the opening night to all the marvel movies i stopped doing that now i more or less wait till they come out and i can watch them at home but that means that i end up without trying at all getting a lot of it spoiled so i've just learned to you know it's not a big deal i knew the ending of the new avengers movie but again i read the thing it's based on 20 years ago so they're just spoiling a movie based on something i've already read so it's not a big deal i guess (laughs) um about spoilers i remember i thought that this guy i was going to see winter soldier with knew that winter soldier was bucky and apparently he didn't and uh, <laughs> and he's like, you robbed me of this. And I'm like, I, I th- thought that everyone knew this. Like, you see the trailers. Like, it's pretty obvious who this is. And yet we're in the theater, and there's uh, someone in the back who's like, oh, that's Bucky. And he's like, see, fuck you. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought everyone knew. I, like, how do you not know this? Like, it's not like they were that careful in the trailers. Like, it was very obvious what this was. He's like, no, man, this is on you. I'm like, okay. Yeah, it wouldn't even... I guess- trying to think well, was he a comic fan at all uh, among comic fans everyone every comic fan would he, know he wasn't like a comic fan but he knows stuff and again he watched all the movie trailers and I'm like the movie trailers don't really hide the fact that it's him yeah I don't feel like that was a big 
I can't remember that being played as like a that big massive reveal in the movie, like big secret. It does seem. But I guess maybe I'm hopelessly biased by knowing it going in, but I don't remember them playing it as like this big massive reveal at any point. Uh, I mean, they kind of did because like when when uh, the goggle, like he was wearing the like, kind of the glasses, and then they come off, and then Cap sees it, and then he gets shocked, right? Because obviously it's a big reveal for Captain America. Um, so they do kind of That's play true. it that you haven't quite seen it, and then now you see him, and you realize he's Bucky. But like again. I, I feel it, and he was a guy who watched trailers with me, so I just kind of figured like it's right there. Yeah, you're right. I need to go back and watch that trailer. I need to see to what extent they really did put it in there. Because you're right, in the movie they do, they definitely have him masked at first, trying not to show you. But I gotta check that trailer and see if they how much they really put forth an effort to keep it a secret yeah so anyways ever since i'm very careful around that guy because he's a uh, he's very militant about me giving away secrets <laughs> that's how i used to be but it, it stressed me out too much trying to avoid spoilers and then getting mad if i heard them so now i just i try to avoid them but if i happen to hear one, i just move on with my life it sounds like you've gone you've gotten very zen about it very mellow yeah, I just, just, I've gone soft. I'm not willing to, to fight the fight anymore. <laughs> I feel like you have to revoke some sort of nerd card, because don't you have to have instant rage within you? Exactly. I, I had to I had mail it back. It's a whole process. It, it, was, it was, I'm not even sure if it was worth it. It was so much work. <laughs> It's one of those things where, like, when I go on, like, places like Newsarama and I read some of the comments, I'm just like, why is everyone so angry and so all the time? I agree. That, that's why, especially when it comes to like podcasts, to listen to. I tend to much more lean to the podcasts that you know they they like things. Like in your podcast, you tend to talk about books you like. Um, the other podcasts like for comics, they, they, tend, they tend to interview people and talk about books they like. Because like if I'm out, you know, jogging around, I don't want to listen to two hours of this sucks, that sucks, I don't like that. So I mean, it's fun to make fun of things sometimes. But if you don't like it, why are you making podcasts about it? very true well and like so i always got made fun of back when uh paul scores and nathan instructed the show because you know when we do book of the month and they'd be like everything you every, you're giving everything an eight and i'm like yeah because i liked it that's why you're reading this today like you know why are you surprised that i like these things like you know a lot of my reviews episodes i feel like i usually give positive reviews but i'm like that's usually what i want to read first i'm not usually picking up a book first to review that's gonna suck yeah why, why would you go out spend your own money to buy something that you dislike, and then take your time to record a podcast about it if you don't like it. No, sometimes it'll be like, you know, uh, the next issue of something that I'm already committed to, like Amazing Spider-Man, for example, there will be issues I don't like, and that's fine, and that that will happen. But generally speaking, like, if it's a book I'm going to hate, I'm probably not going to pick it up to begin with. Or if I am picking it up or through, you know, some weird comic book sense of loyalty that I have to keep the numbering going or something like that, which, for the most part, I got disabused of years ago when my wife probably shook some sense into me. But, uh... (laughs) You know, if even then, it wouldn't be top of my reading pile. And these days, I don't read as many books, at least not, not in time to podcast about them. So by the time I've read that book, the podcast has long since ended. Yeah, that, yeah, at that point, you're not going to go back and record a podcast about a book that's six weeks old that you don't like very much. So I will tell you something uh, that made me laugh, and I don't know if anyone will have noticed on their own. Uh, so I just recorded a reviews episode yesterday. And right when I was done, I was um, formatting the posting for the for that episode and scheduling it. And I usually copy and paste from the previous episode, um, and then I just kind of type over what over, all the new issues are and the ratings. And then I realized, oh shit, I reviewed the same book twice. 
Because like, like, it hadn't come out that week, but I guess I still had it like in that in the next week's comics. So I just thought that, oh, I haven't read this comic yet, or I haven't uh, reviewed it yet for the podcast. It must have come out this week. It was actually the previous week, so I reviewed it twice. Thankfully, gave it the same rating twice. That would be my question is, was your review the same? Because if you changed your mind, it's the worst book ever, 4 out of 10. It's the best, 10 out of 10. That would have been a good situation. Honest to God, I was like, oh man, do I have to record a postscript? Like, I'd already like done everything with the episode two. It was like ready to post. I'm like, you know what, fuck it, I don't care. But uh, now anyone who listens to this will know that I, I did do it twice. I gave it a 9 out of 10 both times. It was Jessica Jones, Purple Daughter, number one. It was very good. I really enjoyed it. And I uh, enjoyed it enough that I was happy to talk about it twice. Yeah, I mean, you just reviewed it a third time. That's a third. You really love that book. <laughs> I really do. Well, and it works out because um, uh, at some point in the next month or so, I'm going to be talking with Kelly Thompson again, who wrote it. And I can tell her, I loved your book so much, I reviewed it twice. Three times. That'd be great, because she, she's been writing the new Uncanny series, too, as well, right? That's her? She was. She was part of the uh, the co-writing staff for the first ten issues, and now I believe it's just Ed Brisson writing it going forward. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, so that should be a great interview. I'm, so you love that book. She just wrote X Men, so that seems perfect. Exactly. Well, I'm hoping uh, we were scheduled, and then uh, she had some stuff come up. So if we get rescheduled soon, so anyways, we should uh, actually let this episode go. I suppose so. Yeah. Thank you for having me on again. I'm looking forward to doing more of this this Thor run. Absolutely. No, this was a lot of fun. And uh, before we recorded, I said, you know, let's keep it 45 minutes to an hour. It's an hour and 35 minutes. So uh, it seems about right. Perfect, right on schedule. That's what you said. You said that part too. You said we'll keep it to an hour and forty-five minutes, but I'm sure we'll go over. So it was exactly what you said. Yeah, I've learned that whenever I tell my wife, "Don't worry, it'll be short," I'm full of shit. It's comics. When you start talking about it, it's really hard to stop. I, I've gone R and R about this stuff to my wife all the time. We'll go for walks outside, and I just keep talking and talking and talking. So she knows a lot about comics, even though she's never read. I don't think any really. Well, she read Walking Dead, that was it. Okay. I feel like that's probably what I should say to my wife then, is that, you know what, I know it went too long, but think about it this way. If I wasn't talking to him about it, I'd be talking to you about it. <laughs> there and you then, go. And then she'd be like, you know what, have your podcast, I don't care. <laughs> and There's it, your pitch. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we'll make sure to have you on uh, in the not-too-distant future to talk about the rest of this amazing volume. All right, looking forward to it. All right, thanks so much. No problem. Talk to you later.